Today's scripture comes to us from the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 and verses 13 through 23. Uh, Read along if you want to in the uh, uh, sixth page of the bulletin. Daniel. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Darius so dist- Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or human human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree into writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are finishing this uh, little mini-series in the book of Daniel. We've been calling it Living by Faith in a Multi-Faith City. 
and this is it. We're done, and next week we're focusing on Christmas. Last week we looked at Daniel chapter 3, now we're in chapter 6, you might have noticed, and a lot has actually happened since. Uh, It's probably 60 years later from the last time we encountered Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar has been overthrown. The Babylonian Empire has now been conquered by Persia. The new king is Darius the Mede, and Daniel is probably close to 80 years old, persevering for a long time. And of course, the question that we've been raising the last four weeks has been, how do you live a believing life in an unbelieving or a differently believing world? How do you do that? What does that look like? And here's our final installment. Let me say a word of prayer before we continue. Jesus, we pray that you would bless this time and that you would uh, give us much help. Give me help to communicate what you want to be said from this passage. We pray that your words would come alive and come to us powerfully by your spirit. And so we're listening to you. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's just dive right in for the sake of time, and we're going to look at three different points that we see from this story, this passage. First of all, that opposition is ordinary. Opposition is ordinary. Secondly, prayer is powerful. And thirdly, God is in control. Opposition is ordinary. Prayer is powerful. Thirdly, God is in control control. Opposition is ordinary, folks. How do we believe the world ought to feel about those who are Christians? How should your next door neighbor, your co-workers feel about you if you are a person of faith, if you are someone who bears the name of Jesus? You notice in Daniel's case, There were many who were for Daniel, many who were on his side. Even as he lived as an exile in a strange land, taken to Babylon against his will, as it were, subject to pressures from people that live from a completely different worldview, with different goals in life day to day, even still, there were many who were for him. We see this especially in the way that he enjoyed the favor of King Darius. It's a strange thing. Verse 3, we're told that the king planned to set Daniel over the whole kingdom. Daniel had been sort of a regional governor for a time. He'd been accelerating and promoted time and time again. Finally, we find out that the king is thinking about making him prime minister over the land. Even when the king finds out that he's been tricked into decreeing a new law and that Daniel would be executed, we're told in verse 13, the king was greatly distressed. Didn't want this to happen to Daniel. He was determined to rescue him. Made every effort, we're told, until sundown to save him. The king, even despite his disagreements with Daniel's beliefs, was still in agreement about the quality of the man. Here's something worth laboring for, friends. To have such integrity of life, to have such diligence of work, 
to have such trustworthiness of character that even those who disagree with your faith become your greatest advocates. We're told that Daniel did well in his work, that he even distinguished himself among the administrators, the other satraps, by his exceptional qualities, especially in the qualities of character that he worked with. Verse 4, he was trustworthy. He was neither corrupt nor negligent. He was diligent in all that he did. Having such integrity of life and diligence of work and trustworthiness of character that even those that disagree with your faith become your greatest advocates. Where you have people around you in the workplace or on your street blocks that say, look, I don't agree with everything he believes, but I am really glad he lives on my block. Or I wouldn't call myself a Christian like she does, but our company is certainly better because she works here. Is that the testimony that you have increasingly as you grow in faith? Or is your faith so privatized and individualized that the only people that really see the difference that you're making through your good deeds and your good words are the people that know you in church? Matthew 5, Jesus puts it this way, let your life shine, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. But that's not the whole story, right? There were many that were for Daniel, but there were some who were against him, which, of course, is the focus of this passage. We're told that administrators and satraps, some of Daniel's co-workers, didn't like him. Might have been because he was a foreigner, verse 13, with scorn they call him one of the exiles of Judah. Might have been because they were jealous of his professional success. Daniel did really well, and now he was about to be promoted above them. But it certainly may have been because his faith was something that shaped the way that he worked and perhaps the way that he governed restricted their ability to get richer and more powerful. It's certainly no mystery whether in ancient times or even in the modern day that certain times people in positions of power may be tempted to take on bribes to be able to make an extra buck in the name of government service. Could it be that Daniel's incorruptibility in the way that he governed with honesty and integrity made it harder for them to get away with things like that? And so they petitioned the king the next 30 days. No one would be able to pray to any god or man except the king himself. Every offender would then be cast into the den of lions. Sometimes there will be opposition even when you do well. Opposition because of the name whose you bear, the name of Jesus. Opposition because of the way that your loyalty to God might shape the way you conduct your lives as a neighbor or as a co-worker. You see, if the only people that are rooting for you are Christians, the first half of the point, then maybe you're doing something wrong. But if you have only people that aren't Christians rooting for you, then maybe you're doing something wrong as well. Sometimes the world will hate you if you're a follower of Jesus. Case in point, 
Jesus himself, who loved perfectly, attractively, winsomely, truthfully, and he still got killed. When he instructed his disciples in John 15, he says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Certainly, this does not mean simply licking your wounds and playing the victim. Remember, Daniel was fully engaged in Babylonian life, working hard and working well, living and laboring for the good of Babylonian society. And yet, even still, with all integrity of heart, he would still find opposition against him. Opposition that's painful and costly, but ordinary and expected. Christians need to stop being surprised when they're not uniformly embraced and loved by those around them. In fact, if you were here last week and you're reading this story together with us this week, it's sort of deja vu all over again. And that's the point. It's an ordinary thing to find opposition. Opposition is ordinary. Secondly, prayer is powerful. You see, prayer wasn't just what got Daniel into trouble. It's also what got him through the trouble. We're told in verse 10, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Three quick things about the way that Daniel prayed. Prayer for Daniel was a habit. It wasn't an act in a moment. It wasn't something that he conjured up in a moment of crisis. It was a routine, regular part of the way that he lived his life. Three times a day, just as he had done before. It's helpful to have a routine built into our rhythm of life where we come to God and bring thanksgiving as well as our needs. So that when you actually finally do find yourself in a time of crisis, as was the case in Daniel, you're already in the routine of praying. I mean, without a doubt, this is a significant thing that gave Daniel fresh faith and power to endure this opposition. That it's good to start praying in peacetime so that you already are in communion with God in wartime. And don't miss it when you're squeezed by crisis, you really do find out what's inside of you. When Daniel was squeezed, what we found was a devoted life that came to God for help. Prayer was a habit. Prayer also kept him low. We're talking about these different ways in which you're engaging Babylonian or Washingtonian life. Learning life as a citizen and resident of the people. Being immersed in society. 
knowing things from the inside. And even Daniel, as he engaged in that mission work, found it important to humble his heart, especially as he climbed higher and higher into different roles of responsibility and leadership. Did you notice he not just prayed, but verse 10, he got down on his knees. Listen to what commentator, one commentator, Roy Clement, says so helpfully. Clearly, Daniel felt it important when he approached God consciously to abandon any trace of pride that his secular vocation might have engendered in him. It is probably true that the richer, cleverer, and more powerful we are in worldly terms, the more important it is for us to get down on our knees when we pray. Because sometimes our physical posture can aid and assist and support our inward soul posture before God. And some of us perhaps have come to God in prayer recently, but in the quiet of your heart, you're high and lifted up in your own eyes, haughty and proud, sure of yourself, not helpless, not really needing God. Maybe in words you say it, but not in soul. Maybe we should get down on our knees. And maybe that will make us better servants of the life and community around us. Maybe it'll make us more humble people, more winsome people. People that actually can better work for the good of the world around us. Which brings us to the third part. Prayer not only was a habit and kept him low, it strengthened his identity as a follower of God. You notice every time Daniel prayed, he opened the window and he prayed toward Jerusalem. This wasn't a superstitious thing. This was a way in which he kept his mind and his heart focused upon the land he loved and the place where God promised to be. This was Daniel yearning for the presence of God. This was Daniel being reminded three times a day for 60 years that he wasn't from Babylon, and yet still God was with him. Three times a day, reminded that he was a stranger in exile in Babylon so that he would never feel too at home. Where he'd be reminded on a routine basis that though he was a committed resident of this town, his citizenship and loyalties rested in another town. The town of God, the city of God, the kingdom of God. And it's precisely that that made him effective for Babylon. This is where we learn one of the secrets of Daniel's faith and work. You want to be effective and fruitful like Daniel? You want to have persevering faith and labor for 60 plus years in that struggle to serve in a multi-faith city and an unbelieving and sometimes differently believing world, pray like David. Daniel, pray like David too. Daniel, live like him. Soak your mind and your heart with an identity that says, I'm not from here, but I will serve here. Are you compelled 
by our study of Daniel in the last couple of weeks. Maybe you're wondering, well, what do I need to do? Do I need more books? Do I need to do that? Do I need to do this? Maybe you need to start by praying, thanking God for this city, the glimpses of God's goodness that you see in it, thanking God for your neighbors. You thank God for people, you will be changed in the way that you love them and serve them. Praying and even weeping over the brokenness of the city, praying for your effectiveness at work, praying for opportunities to bless and to serve, because prayer is powerful. Lastly, God is in control, and we'll close with this. God is in control. Daniel, of course, is unjustly accused and thrown into the lion's den. Darius did his best to change those circumstances, couldn't. Lost sleep that night, not being sure what was going to happen. We're told in verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up, hurried to the lion's den. When he got near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered him, verse 21, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. We're told in verse 23 that when Daniel was lifted from the den, No wound was found on him, not even a single scratch, because he had trusted in his God. Here we see a God who protects, a God who delivers, a God who rescues, a God who honors simple faith for those that would cling to him even in times of opposition and trial. And you might ask, well, does this mean then if I'm innocent... And accused. And if I trust in God, then does that mean that nothing bad will ever happen to me? That I'll never lose my job because of my loyalty to Jesus? Does this mean I'll never lose a friend, never lose my reputation, never lose my life? Is that the promise here of this story of Daniel? And the answer is no. You can ask some of these brothers and sisters that we prayed for, deeply faithful to God deeply in love with the gospel of grace, and yet suffering intensely. But of course, you could also look to Jesus, the Son of God himself, perfectly innocent, perfectly trusting in God, and yet living a life of suffering and was eventually executed. So what then is the main point? What then is the story in the story? And it's simply this, and this really summarizes the entire book of Daniel. It's this, God is in control. God is in control. Even when it doesn't look like he is, even in times of intense trial and opposition and suffering, God is in control. Because God has power over evil intentions that people might have against him and maybe against you. That God has power even over the violence of nature. God has power to restore the whole world. This God to whom even ferocious hungry lions can become like house cats. 
He did it then. He can do it again. Of course, how and when he delivers us is up to his wisdom. But do you believe it? God is in control. Do you believe it today? And that the greatest hope that you have is not just in your individual trial. It's in a picture of a better future. A more hopeful future. A restored future. This power that this sovereign God has to restore the world. And let me close with this. You see, in the Old Testament, lions in their ferocious power are always this metaphorical symbol of everything that's wrong with the world. The brokenness of life that's trying to devour us. The ferociousness of the teeth of our fallen world. And so for an Old Testament person, an ancient Jewish reader, sensitive in faith to this story, would see an amazing picture of Daniel standing in the midst of the ferociousness of life, finally tamed by the power of God. It's a little bit of a glimpse, a foreshadowing of God, what God said he would always do one day perfectly, just a glimpse in that little lion's den. A God who says, I'm coming again one day soon. And I'm not just going to protect you here and now. One day I'm going to remove tooth and claw. One day I'm going to make all things right. The roaring lions will be subdued once again. Because Jesus, who was crucified, though innocent, he was not spared from the lions, but who was vindicated in his resurrection like Daniel, has now promised to make all things new. As we're told in Isaiah 11, the day is coming when calf and lion and wolf and lamb will dwell together in harmony. Where our world will no longer be characterized by decay or disintegrated relationships or disobedience to God. Where the true Daniel, Jesus himself, is going to rehabilitate this broken world and make it as it ought to be. Where everything broken will be made whole again, everything old made new, everything wounded healed. Just take a peek into the lion's den and there you see it. You see, the greatest hope that we have is not just that God will help you in the moment, though he will. It's that he's bringing together one day, someday, a whole new world where there is no more persecution and no more opposition. A world where there is no more injustice and no more violence, where there are no more lion's den, but only the lion of Judah, worshipped, surrounded by a multitude of those who acknowledge him as Savior and Lord. This is the God of Daniel. This is the God that is offered to you. What does it look like, dear friends, for you to live a believing life in an unbelieving or differently believing world? 
Or if you're exploring the faith, can you take a peek into a life that is worth living, even under the pressures of great cost? Because it is. Because this is our God. He can be yours too. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would come now and that you would help us to be refreshed in our love for you as we seek to follow you. The God who has become our friend, though we were former enemies, the God who has loved us so, the God who is with us even in times of trial and even death. We pray this with great hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.